You may recall a couple of weeks ago, I began this very mini-series, three parts, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at the armor of God, and uh, I'm going to detail that armor tonight a little bit and discover how that applies to the Christian life. And so Ephesians 6, page 979 in the Blue Bible, if you haven't found that already, we will read from verses 10 down through verse 20. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am, am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. O oh God, we do come before you, and we've heard these verses many, many times, but living them out can be very different for us. And so we ask for your help. We pray for your eyes, we pray for your illumination, and we would ask that you would bless us in your word tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, when I was in high school, I was part of the Queensboro Boxing Club, and I was 17 years old, and because of the weight class that I was in, the only other person in my weight class was an older man, old man, to me when I was 17, in his early 30s. Uh, some of you might uh, cringe at that thought, but that's a young man to me now, but he was an old man to me then, and he was a very good boxer, a very experienced boxer, and I was not. And that's why my nose looks the way that it does, because it never failed that when we were sparring, that within a minute, he had given me a number of shots to the nose and I would be bleeding profusely. And this would happen week after week, meeting after meeting. And one thing that you learn very quickly in boxing is that you better be able to protect yourself. Because it may be fun to punch someone else in the face, but that other person is also trying to punch you in the face. And so you must learn some defense. You have to be able to defend yourself. There is offense and there is defense. And that is the same thing that we see pictured here in the armor of God. And so it is in our spiritual lives. Paul, in Ephesians 6, is trying to teach us how to defend ourselves. There's offensive weaponry and there's also defensive weapons that we are to use. We are to take up the whole armor of God and we are to stand firm in our fight against Satan. We are to stand firm. Why? Because the Christian is in an invisible war, a continual war. 
There are cosmic realities, unseen and yet very real in our lives. And so we have an adversary that is very much against us. That very much hates us. That very much hates the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He stands for. And hates us because we are on side with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to know Him in faith and repentance and therefore we are an enemy of Satan. We are now on God's side and with being on God's side means that we now have God's enemy, Satan himself. So on the one hand, there is the sense in which we have inner peace with God and yet there is an inner struggle with Satan. And so we are the church militant while we walk in this world. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says, the Christian is in a continual and irreconcilable war. We will never be reconciled to Satan. There will never be a time when there is peace. We have peace with God. We do not ever have peace with Satan. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And we don't have time to recap that entire sermon uh, in verses 10 to 13 two weeks ago. But there we saw that the armor of God passage is contained within the context, if we go back in the book of Ephesians, the context is one of marriage, family, work, and worship. We see that unfolding for us in chapters 4 and chapter 5. And that is so often where we see Satan attacking in marriages. And we see that all the way back into the garden. Adam and Eve, their marriage is attacked. We see that in their family. We see that Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. We see that their work is affected. It's no longer a joy. It is going to become toil. And we see their worship, their communion with God is affected. They no longer have that intimacy that they enjoyed previously. And so if you are interested, you can go back and listen to that. And also in that sermon, I referred to that great Christian classic by William Gurnall, The Christian in Complete Armor. Now my edition is 1,200 pages, double-columned, in very, very tiny print. If we were to put that into some contemporary work today, it would probably be well in excess of 2,000 pages. 2,000 pages all on these verses that we see here tonight. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 52 sermons on verses 10 to 18. And in his series, he He went through the text. He worked it all out, all that it means, all of the implications of each of the statements and words that we see here, the meanings of each piece of armor. And we are not going to do that in that kind of detail. We're only spending three weeks in these verses. But Paul's point is that we have very real enemies and we see those referred to in verse 12, these principalities and powers that are at work. This is Satan and his his minions demons. They are not going to be easily assuaged or done away with. They're not going to just disappear when we become a Christian. We are going to need to fight. We have a powerful adversary who is opposing us in spiritual ways, and we are going to need to fight with spiritual weapons. And so we need to take up the armor of God Because we have such an evil adversary who's a liar, who's a murderer, he is pure evil. And we see J.I. Packer says that Satan is more cruel, more malicious, more proud, more scornful, more perverted, more destructive, more disgusting, more filthy, more despicable 
than anything our minds can conceive. That is his description of Satan. And that is what we see pictured, unfolded for us in the words of Scripture as well. And so if you agree with the Bible, that that is a description of Satan, if you agree with J.I. Packer, then the warnings that the Apostle Paul gives us, the admonitions that are here for us, should not be taken lightly. We should take them very, very seriously and see how we can engage in this battle so that we don't live as defeated Christians. We can live in victory. Now we know that we are the church militant on this earth, but we also know that we are the church triumphant. We triumph through what Jesus has done, but that triumphancy within the Christian life isn't gained for us until we die. We are the church triumphant in heaven. That's where our final triumphing is done. Here on earth, we are in a war. We are the church militant. And in Ephesians 6, we are told to depend on God and to put on the armor of God. And now, many, many commentators will tell you that the Apostle Paul here is envisioning a Roman soldier as he's writing. And that would be easy for us to explain because he's in prison. He's had a lot of associations with Roman soldiers. And so we can think that he's, he's looking at them. He's looking at these pieces of, of armor and equipment that they have. And then he's correlating that to the Christian life. So we are going to go with that tonight. And we're going to go through the pieces. And we're going to go with that understanding that this is a Roman soldier he's talking about. And we're going to apply each of these items to the Christian life. And the first item that we see is in verse 14. Again, we covered 10 to 13 in the previous sermon two weeks ago. And tonight we'll try to look at 14 through 17. First, we see the belt of truth. The belt of truth in verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, Roman soldiers had an overcoat or a tunic that they would wear. And of course, when they're engaged in battle, they don't want things flopping around and flying around. They have to be very nimble. They have to be quick. They don't want their arms caught up in a piece of clothing. And so if they didn't take it off, they would gather everything up and they would tie it into their belt so it wasn't in the way. So it wouldn't become an encumbrance to them as they were engaged in this battle. And so if you have a King James Bible, it might call it your loins girt about with truth. So our loins, our hip area, girt about with truth. Why do we need the belt of truth on? The easy answer is because Satan and demons are full of lies. He is the father of lies. And to fight, we need to know the truth and respond to the truth with an attitude of readiness for action. We need to be ready with the truth. It's throwing off all of those things, all of the lies, all of the sins that will hinder us in the work of the Lord, gathering up all those things and putting them all away, confessing them, dealing with them, getting rid of all of that stuff so that we are able to engage unencumbered in our spiritual battles. And we see that pictured by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need to put aside those entanglements They weigh us down, they trap us, they make us ineffective in the battle. Now, application. How many of us, how many of us give opportunity to to, to Satan to discourage and entangle and defeat us because we are continually allowing these excesses to coexist with us in the Christian life? 
We're not dealing with them. We allow them to encumber us. We allow them to weigh us down and entangle us. They sidetrack us, they sideline us, and they slow us down in our Christian walk. And so we need to put away these lies and we need to embrace the truth, putting on the belt of truth. It ties everything together that we see pictured for us. That's the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. And the second piece of armor that we are told to put on is at the end of verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? The breastplate of righteousness. Well, the Roman soldier would have different breastplates. And some of them would be leather, and some of them were metal, and they covered the front half of the soldier's body. They would cover his heart. They would cover, cover his midsection. And this was very important because these are vital areas, vital organs that needed protection as they were engaged in their battle. All of these vital organs needed to be protected, the heart and the stomach from any attack. It needed to be in place for the warrior to have some protection in combat. Now in the Jewish mind, in, in the heart in the Jewish mind was the place where thinking was done. It's called the heart. And we see that in Proverbs 23 and verse 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so the breastplate was used to protect the thoughts. And then the stomach, the intestines, are literally the bowels, as the King James would use it. In the Jewish mind, that is the concept of feelings and emotions. So these two areas are often under attack in our spiritual war. The mind and the emotions. What you think and how you feel. Those things are very correlated. How we think is often going to dictate how we are going to feel. And that is why we need the breastplate in place to be engaged in this conflict that we are in. And how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, righteousness means that you are in union with Christ. That's one way for us to look at righteousness. Union with Christ. We are clothed and robed in His righteousness. It has covered us. But it also means something else. It means righteous living. The way that we live. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Righteous living. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ and that should lead to righteous living. Our lifestyle is either going to fortify us against the enemy or it's going to make it easier for him to attack us. What are we allowing into our lives? What are we living alongside of? This piece of armor helps us to live in unity as the children of God. It helps us to live in purity. helps us to live in integrity before a fallen world. This breastplate of righteousness is critical. Are you robed not only in the righteousness of Christ, but also this breastplate of righteous living that we see here? Allowing your life to be such that your heart, your thoughts, your emotions are all covered by this breastplate of righteousness. Fighting the good fight of faith, holding on to faith with a good conscience. And thirdly, we see here that we need shoes. Shoes in verse 15. Shoes for your feet. What did this mean to the average Roman soldier? Well, it's of critical importance to the average Roman soldier. Shoes were more important for him than they are for an athlete. If you are an athlete, you know that you have special shoes to go and play golf. You would have special shoes to play soccer, special 
shoes for football, different footwear that you wear to do different things. And for a Roman soldier, the footwear was very, very critical. They were footwear for several reasons, and the first was for protection. They were on long, long marches often, and so footwear was very important to them. They, they conquered much of the Roman world so quickly because they were able to travel so quickly with the shoes that they had on. They also needed these shoes for combat as they were engaged in combat. This gave the Romans a great advantage over many of their enemies who had inadequate footwear. Often in those days, the enemy would place sharp stakes underneath the ground when an army was approaching. And so this footwear that they had was very hard on the bottom, very toughened and hardened leather. And so with these stakes that were pointed up, they were able to absorb those different blows when they stepped on things like this. And it didn't incapacitate them like it did so many other armies. These were like ancient landmines that they had to deal with. And so their footwear was extremely important because if something was to pierce your foot, you know if you've ever had even a slight foot injury and how that can encumber you. And think about that on a battlefield. You don't want anything happening, even a small injury to your feet because that will become big problems for you. Also, the battlefield would become very slick There'd be mud and it would be hard to gain traction. And so Josephus tells us that the Romans' shoes were thickly studded and they had nails through the bottom of them, pointed down so that they could gain traction. This helped the soldier keep their grip on slippery grounds. And so Paul says, put on your shoes. And he also says, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So here Paul links the soldier's footwear, his shoes, with the gospel. Shoes carry us from place to place. And as we go from place to place, we are to bring the gospel with us every place that we go. In spite of all the trouble, in spite of all of the obstacles, in spite of the enemy that might lay traps for us, we are to bring the gospel with us wherever we go. And then also the gospel of peace refers to the good news that believers are at peace with God. We see that in Romans 5 and verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God at war with Satan. But the main point here is that the gospel brings peace through the Prince of Peace. We engage in war to bring peace through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the fourth piece of armor in verse 16 is the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The first thing that we note with this shield of faith is how adequate it is. Notice that word all, all the flaming darts of the evil one. It is fully adequate. The word all is very, very comforting for us in this passage. A Roman soldier would put a lot of faith in his shield. They would have different types of shields for different types of battles. Some of them were the the very smaller circular one that you would see. It would go on their forearm. They'd have the sword in the other hand. It was very maneuverable and quick and easy to use. There are many different types of shields. But the one pictured here is probably a much, much larger shield that they would use. It was a large plank and it measured four and a half feet by two and a half feet. It was covered in toughened leather, sometimes metal, And it was also soaked. And that would become very, very important because as they soaked it, it would be able to absorb fiery darts from the enemy. 
The enemy would put cotton balls on the end of their arrows and it would be soaked in pitch. And so if you did not have something to extinguish those arrows, if those arrows hit your body, they would hit you and all of that pitch would, would move and you would be on fire. And so it was very good offensive weapon that they had and the defensive weapon to combat that is this um, shield of faith that we have here. And so in, midst, in the midst of all of the chaos of war, the Roman soldier could stand firmly behind this shield. This shield. And so they would have unity in battle. They would link shields together. They would link together and they'd be able to march and advance before their enemy as they were shooting these darts at them. Now as we fight in the Christian life, the enemy is constantly firing these blazing arrows of temptation at us, schemes at us, deceptions, lies, trying to burn all of our convictions that we have in Christ to the ground. And if we do not have our shields up, if we do not have the shield of faith up, then we can become easy pickings for all of these darts. If we do not use the shield of faith, the flaming dart will hit us and it will spread this fire throughout our lives and the fire will run its course. What are the fiery darts? Well, they can be fear, they can be worry, they can be anxieties, they can be lusts. All of these different temptations that hit us and splatter everywhere. And so we must take up the shield of faith and link together with other shields of faith. That is the importance of the local church. I hope that you attend church regularly. I hope that you are involved in a midweek Bible study to be encouraged, to link these shields together, to be encouraged, to be prayed for, and to be helped when you need help. We can use other people. We can use their prayers, their wisdom, their counsel, their encouragement, and we should do so. That is what God gives us to help us to engage in the battle. And then we also see here, fifthly, the helmet of salvation in verse 17. A Roman soldier always wore a helmet into battle. You would be foolish not to wear a helmet into battle. And the helmet was made up of leather and often pure metals. And the helmet's job was to protect the head from arrows, but it was also to protect mostly from the sword. If you take a head wound uh, or a head wound with a sword um, to the head or to the neck, then that is going to spell big, big trouble for you. You are going to be incapacitated or killed very, very quickly. And so a sword to the head or the neck was big trouble and they needed to protect themselves against that. Now for us, the helmet protects the mind and we need to protect our minds. We need to protect our thought life, the way that we think. And so the enemy wants to attack us in our minds. And one author states that Satan's sword has two sides. It's got two, edge, two edges to it. One is discouragement and one is doubt. Satan wants us to be doubt, a doubting God he wants us to be de depressed and he wants us to be discouraged. Doubts like these. You're not good enough. Or you're never going to make it. Ultimately, you are going to be lost without Christ. Remember that awful sin that you did last year or six months ago or last week or today or yesterday? The devil wants to whisper to us. You're not even a Christian at all. And then you might start to think to yourself and to consider to yourself what has been whispered to you and you think that you are now in a battle. 
You are now engaged in a battle in your, in your thought life, in your mind. You might start to think that's true. I'm told in this passage here that I have to stand and withstand and stand firm. But so often I don't. So often I crumble. And so we are in a battle. We start to doubt, maybe I'm not even a Christian at all. John Bunyan in his great little book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. I have that book when I'm doing sermon preparation at my desk. I have that book two shelves up from me within arm's length, like William Gurnall's book, The Christian in Complete Armor, like so many other works that I have at my fingers, fingertips. But, but uh, there in that little book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, John Bunyan writes about how he struggled to believe that God could, could save and forgive someone like him. It's a struggle to fight. It's a struggle for us to fight in our minds and to engage in this way. And Bunyan says that the Lord had promised that he who comes to me, I will in no ways cast out. That was the promise that he was considering. But did that word apply to me, he says. And I would ask you, does that word apply to you? Jesus says to us, come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will in no ways cast out. Does it apply to you? That is the question that we can wrestle with. And Satan whispers to Bunyan and to us, and he says that it doesn't. Doesn't apply to us. God's promise here and many other places, they don't apply to us. Satan says and whispers that it does not, but John Bunyan knew that it did. He knew that it did, so he wrestled. Do you, when those thoughts come into your mind, do you wrestle? Do you hold on and cling to the promises of God as found in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Stopping the self-condemnation. Stopping all those thoughts that lead us to spiral downward. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Bunyan continues and he writes, If ever Satan and I did strive for any word of God in all my life, it was for this good word of Christ. Satan at one end of it and I at the other. Oh, what work we did make. It was for this in John chapter 6, I say, that we did tug and strive. He pulled at one end and I pulled at the other. But God be praised, I got the better of him. Now the question for us to wrestle with tonight is this. Where is Satan pulling on your life tonight? Where is he trying to undermine the promises of God in your life? Where is he trying to depress you and discourage you and cause you to doubt all of the promises that we see unfolded for us in the world, in the word of God? What can we do? We can pull back. We can pull back on those promises. We can claim those promises. We can claim the victory that Christ gives to us and we will prevail. If we resist the devil, he will what? Flee from us. We resist, he will flee. We put on the helmet of salvation. He who begun a good work in you will what? Complete it. He's going to cause it to come to completion. One page over in your Bible in Philippians 1 and verse 6, we see that promise there for us. He's, he's covenanted to bear with you, to strive with you, and he will be with you right to the very end. He's going to see you through. So all of those lies we preach to ourselves, that we're not good enough, we're not going to finally make it, 
We take a verse like that and we apply it to our hearts and to our minds and we resist, we pull back and we pull back hard and we will prevail. Satan wants us to doubt. He wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to doubt God and all of His promises. And when doubt swings at our heads, we put on the helmet of salvation, reminding ourselves of these gospel promises that we have. Remember your union with Christ, that you are unified with Him. You are in union with Him. And so, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That is a bare promise from God's Word that we can claim this night. Are you trusting and reposing on Christ alone for salvation? Then that promise is for you. Sinclair Ferguson asks in closing, what does this helmet of salvation mean? And he says, I think that it means this, a mind preoccupied with thoughts of our great salvation. That to Sinclair Ferguson is the helmet of salvation. A mind preoccupied with thoughts of our great salvation. Are you trusting in Christ alone this night for salvation? Then when those doubts and discouragements come, put on the helmet of salvation. Take up that shield of faith and fight. Think and dwell in your mind upon these promises that we have and all that Christ has accomplished for us in the gospel. We can be strong in the Lord, verse 10 tells us. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Because of our union with Christ, we can have this might. We've been united with Christ and we can feast and feed upon these promises in our mind and this will go a long way to cheering our heart. And we're going to have to stop and end there tonight and we'll pick up in verse 17 at the end there. Uh, with another great promise, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that we can be engaged in this battle. We can fight from victory, not for victory. Christ has claimed our victory. So we pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would give us full measure of your Spirit, that we would know you more deeply and that we would make you known more widely and that you would bless us. For Jesus' sake, amen.